manages the fourth largest national railway system in the world by size with a total route length of 68,103 kilometers as of 31st March 2022. While the average train speeds of the mail express trains have peaked at 50.6 kilometers an hour, the one day Bharat introduced recently is capable of running at 180 kilometers an hour. Yet, they only average around 76 kilometers an hour because of the lack of tracks and infrastructure. Meanwhile, the Shanghai Maglev runs at 460 kilometers an hour and the CR400 Puxing at 350 kilometers an hour in China, the ICE3 at 330 kilometers per hour in Germany, the TGV at 320 kilometers an hour in France, and the JR East E5 at 320 kilometers an hour in Japan. The Vande Bharat is undoubtedly a major upgrade or improvement from the current Mail Express trains that operate in the country, but only a marginal improvisation, barely addressing any of the five dimensions of transactional value, including quality, cost, delivery, service, and flexibility. While we celebrate its success, we must not forget that it falls neither in the mind-to-market nor time-to-market categories of innovation. Indian Railways is one of the biggest employers in the country with over 1.4 million employees. 70% of its estimated revenue expenditure is towards wages and pensions. It is struggling with eliminating obsolete jobs while being found wanting in both efficacy and efficiency of its operations. It works on outdated technology, is poor on security and operating standards, and yet transports the people and goods of the largest populous country in the world, which is a miracle in itself. It is a microcosm view of the legacy of the British Raj that the country over 75 years of independence is yet to overcome. It is not the brightest and the best of minds in the country who seek a job with the railways, nor has the railways found a way to build private partnerships due to the inherent corruption of contracts in the system. Against this background, our featured guest Subhanshu Mani is a refreshing profile to pick. He spearheaded the making of the Vande Bharat and succeeded against great odds in delivering it within the scales of economy and time. A poet at heart and an engineer by education, he has brought the rare quality of leadership to his job and work that is refreshing and reassuring at the same time. What were your challenges in, in terms of leadership? Leadership challenge both above you, whether it is the executive bureaucracy or the political bureaucracy, and below you, which is the workforce that basically needed to be brought together. Yeah, first of all, uh, thanks a lot for inviting me today. And uh, namaskar to all your viewers. Okay, so I'll come to the part which is uh, easier. That is to win over your those who work for you uh, or, and maybe colleagues. And it was even easier in the government environment that I was brought up and worked all my life. So Indian Railways uh, has not gotten over the colonial hangover 
in spite of 75 years of after independence it is i mean i'm not a critic of indian railways i'm a lover of indian railways but it has a very feudal setup and it has barricades of propriety misplaced propriety protocol so why i'm saying my job was easier was to just break these protocols just introduce openness with everyone who worked in that factory also not big vendors but smaller vendors these were the people for whom the general manager the leader of the factory uh, was somebody they would meet only in a ceremony not face to face at all so the so first thing was to do that i was advised that you will be flooded with like i would go around in the shop floor aimlessly because i was told not to interfere with the production which was my able lieutenants were doing it aimlessly because uh, i went there without any objective and uh, it's a large factory a bit overstaffed definitely so uh, 12000 workers at that time which i had resolved to reduce to 10000 i'll come to that later but in a stroll of uh, one and a half two hours you would meet 500 people and just go and shake hands with them and uh, just ask them one question which i was told not to because they i was told that if you ask this question you will be flooded with uh, problems on the contrary and my tamil i couldn't speak tamil but most of the workers did have a good uh, command over english the question was simple any problem and 99% the answer was no problem sir if there was some problem related with some toilet lighting here and then engineers following me would were told to attend it that, then and there and that day itself all it did was the simple act which i did frequently to win over a large workforce similarly simple measures i cannot go on detailing everything but i'll tell you one Uh, which i frequently speak about was another very simple measure that in a government office if you enter the foyer the lobby in a corner you will find it's changing but still you will find where the janitor keeps his brooms and buckets and so on for so i threw that away and converted into one part into a heritage gallery for the organization which was at that point uh, 65 to 70 years old and uh, the other part just built a family tree which had 12000 photographs of everyone who worked in icf and nobody bigger or smaller all in alphabetical order it was quite uh, an exercise for me to find my photo there we had to call some help but it became a place where people would come with their family and uh take their photographs there it became a selfie point because it was a the belongingness it gave inculcated into everyone about about with integral coach factory it was quite phenomenal so then now these were simple acts this is what i would do you know as a leader because i am not a great engineer i am not trained in management i am not trained in technology a simple engineer but empathy is something that even if it doesn't come naturally to you if love doesn't come naturally to you as a leader you can manufacture it
you can contrive it because you have to have your human resource totally with you. One last example. Uh, so in the pompous officers, you know, they follow the politicians and whenever something is inaugurated with railway money, they would put their name on the plaque, go and cut the ribbon. And when he, the leader puts his name, other underlings also put their name and it's, it's, it will never immortalize you. Because unless you live in the hearts of the people you are commanding, all these plaques and all are meaningless. Now, quite ruthlessly, I would say, I got it counted within a week of my joining. Since 1955, you will not believe, excluding those plaques which had a politician's name in it. So, their job is to glorify themselves, so let them be. There were 160 odd such plaques all over the premises, the factory, the colonies, community halls. And I ordered that all should be extracted and thrown in the dust in full public view. Now, I was not being unfair to anyone. I was being unfair to the concept. And now on any inauguration, and we'll do a lot because we were spending a lot of money and things needed improvement, shall be inaugurated by the senior most staff member who worked there, who gave his sweat and tears for 30, 35 years about to retire. We will give him a bouquet, a, a simple coach model, a shawl, put his name and his, only his name. And he would stand there with his son, with his daughter, with his wife, spouses, parents, because that is something with tearful eyes he would preserve for his life. Now, similar measures. Uh, the, so, winning over those who work for you was not difficult, as I told you. All you have to shed is your false sense of impropriety and protocol and things like that. Now, as for those above you, no, that's not easy. Because uh, human nature, if you want to do something out of the box, People would believe what is sent to them on WhatsApp by somebody unknown as a forwarded, but face to face, unfortunately, jealousy and trivializing what you are standing for and things like that are natural. So I did have a problem with uh, the leadership in the railway board to whom I had to go for a sanction. But my firm belief is that if you have... Uh, obstacles, there is definitely some human being who would come for your rescue all the time. Everyone is not cast in the same mold. So I did have a challenge there, but fortunately the top man, the chairman railway board, understood that what we were trying to do was only to fulfill something that was a long time coming for Indian Railways. His doubts were only his colleagues who were stopping him. So anyway, and then, then the last thing before that, after everything was not totally working out, I did, as I keep telling, I, <laughs> it was not symbolic, but I said I am going to do it to grab his feet and give me this sanction. Import whatever you want, but give me a sanction for two trains. Let me do it and I will do it at much less. Actually, I said one third of the cost of import. And that helped and that's how we were able to get over these challenges. So, so it's always tougher with your 
colleagues and seniors, but with those below you, all you have, it's totally, the ball is totally in your court. You have to act to win them over and it's not difficult. You have the energy of uh, perhaps half your age, not just from the point of view of, you know, your zeal, but also from the approach to things. So what have you been doing since your retirement? The first thing that a retired bureaucrat looks for is some some assignment to be handed over by the government so that he can continue to enjoy the fruits of office, uh, which he gets used to so much, which are, you know, a large house, uh, chauffeur-driven cars and things like that. That is something I had decided early on is not for me because uh, this was the time that you were, for once, totally free to express yourself. Whatever I may say in service, there is a protocol to be followed. I mean, you cannot go public with your thoughts and so on. So first thing was, this was the time to express myself totally freely. So, although there is hardly a bread and butter issue, but to be remain in touch with what is going on in railway and uh, metro uh, domain, which is where I have worked all my life, I took up those consultancy offers, uh, which came from railway industry, about to enter the railway industry or there and trying to come with a new product, but with a condition that I'll be able to do some overview and strategy meetings with you give my advice once or twice a day. This was pre-COVID time, so this was actually involved travel. Uh, COVID made it even better because uh, then uh, everything, you know, gets done on Zoom. and So I took up some assignment. I still do that and uh, I keep in touch. But that's not really my heart's calling. So I got this time, so I indulge, I, I in, uh, indulge in three, four things. One is, of course, writing. So I had written five books before retirement. Uh, they were all related with visual arts and railways, uh, uh, some, some uh, a peculiar subject, so to say, but I had worked quite a lot on that. One was about greenery that we were able to do in ICF, just documenting that. So these were all coffee table books published with railway money. So I didn't have to put in any money of mine because these I was still in service. The last book, or oh sorry, the next book was just documenting my uh, train 18, the Vande Bharat story, uh, which is, uh, which I'll just show it to your viewers. And uh, then I am working on, or I finished one book and one is almost finished. Both are on totally different subject, nothing to do with railways. Uh, I have a contrived, not natural, because I'm an engineer, a contrived interest in literature, particularly poetry of Shakespeare and Urdu poetry of Ghalib and other poets. And I was blogging about similarity between Ghalib, who lived about 200 years back, and as I call my English uncle Shakespeare, who was 400 years back, a similarity in their thoughts and uh, juxtapose them. And suddenly from the blogging, it kind of started taking the shape of a book. So 
that book is complete is it's about to go to the publishers it's called ghalib uh, and shakespeare a collation by their self styled nephew the other is of course i write in jest again these two where they talk about current situations talk to each other ghalib and shakespeare and bring in their poetry in it and it's more in humor than uh, any seriousness that book is almost ready now other than that i have uh, i did some programs on a uh, youtube uh, channel one was a poetry one was on current affairs the current affairs then i dropped after some time because uh, the discourse in india is such that you have to take a side and uh, i i i found i was not good at it so i didn't do it for too long but we do hold conclaves and uh, occasional gatherings on visual art literature and free thought and by free thought i mean uh, all areas uh, you know of human existence uh, from defense to politics to journalism to music to films and so on call some eminent people listen to them ask questions and so on and then i write in uh, newspapers and i blog so i try to write couple of articles every month in newspapers and couple of blogs every month and then i speak uh, when people like you are kind enough to invite me they i go and speak unfortunately i li- i pretentiously want to speak about other so many things which i think i have done uh, pretentiously i said but i am always told to talk about this train so <laughs> i end up talking about this train uh, so that's how i spend my time and uh, it's a very very satisfying and wonderful time after retirement because i am the master of my time and there is no external pressure of any kind but i am able to use that time as effectively as i can i i mean it can be better but so i'm sorry for a long answer but uh, <laughs> this is what i do what prevents us from being prepared for a a future where a startup could say i am going to create the best railway system in the country because india is a vast country no matter how much of air travel we bring in it cannot eliminate rail travel and this was a vision which the british had more than 150 years ago why cannot we simplify modernize and disrupt that from a from a startup ecosystem perspective absolutely right so i will take off from where you what you just stated so railways in india came pretty early earlier than china and so many other countries because of the british and they brought it uh, for a very selfish reason and that was to govern the country and to transport their uh, military uh, logistics and they succeeded but the offshoot was that it also opened this means of travel for common indians and uh, it ultimately led to a kind of unity of thought uh, you would see so many pictures of gandhi ji traveling in a uh, what was the third class compartment those days so in a way it was a, it, it was an essential cog in the freedom movement and then came the came freedom and after that essential in the early years essential uh, in the state was essential for growth of the country 
and it had to be thought of as something more subsequently as you say as not merely a slower growth consolidation but a quantum jump in growth to help growth not only of railways but growth of the country so in spite of being a government servant all my life i do believe that there are certain areas which government is not geared to do well it can do it for whatever reason but it is not geared to do well so there is a mix of private and public indian railways is not even public it's government so what is that so i would divide the railways into three there are many aspects which can be talked about but mainly three sections one is manufacturing of rolling stock trains locomotives the next is operation of trains including their maintenance and third is maintenance of the development and maintenance of the infrastructure so let's start with manufacturing which uh, we did in icf and made this train we have vast experience available from all over the world various models china has some model europe has another us has us is totally private europe is also now totally private all manufacturing is done by large corporations in china they have combined all their government factories into one corporation which has a great degree of freedom unlike uh, the corporations in india i would i would strongly go with what you're saying is that manufacturing after all purchase would be made by the government initially till the operators come in would gradually go to private sector you may retain some factories which may be uh, corporatized but not government so they have this is something that would transform the way we manufacture trains uh, manufacture locomotives export there is a vast possibility of india developing these trains and exporting but all that would not be possible as long as it is in that you know a straight jacket of government control next comes the infrastructure maintenance development and maintenance with there can be many model but this also has to be separated out from government control but after you have done away with manufacturing now the infrastructure maintenance and the infrastructure development this part of the arm would also uh, be free to let private operators run trains on uh, on the on the network and they would then be kind of a profit center who would be independent so this again while the manufacturing i am saying is practically we made private this can remain in government uh, public as well as private hands depending upon various model and then the operation of trains so there is this social obligation thing which you cannot deny does exist and uh, till india becomes developed which we hope does in 15 20 25 years at that stage it would be different people will have more money in their pocket but till then you have these common men who have to be transported at a very small cost that's a fact that we have to take care no private enterprise is going to do that so divide it into two part all the premier trains should be run by private operators they can make good profit and share this profit with government because 
people will pay for value. Right now, you don't give them their value, so they don't travel by trains or they grumble or they t it can give a good um, run for their money with airlines. Let that be done by private sector. Then you can have the government or the public's arm operate trains which are part of the social obligation. After all, all this is a matter of subsidy. How do you have that subsidy come in is a model you decide. It is ultimately money out of government's pocket, government spending, which is subsidizing this travel. So find some way, without going into the details, that the requirement of the common man is also taken up with a clear mandate, which I keep saying, treat your common men also as human beings. Right now in our lower classes, the we, we may be charging very, very little, but the way we carry them is almost inhuman. A developed India is not going to see that. So take them in comfort. Don't charge them much, but still take them in comfort. Take every, let every train be air conditioned. In a weather like India, uh, you cannot have non-AC trains. And a third, I said, infrastructure can again be a mix. But initially, because there are failed models where infrastructure were handed over to private sector. Keep it with government uh, and, and slowly go for a uh, private uh, certain area like certain northeast and where the uh, rail density is low where social obligations are more than country security and those things come into fiction jammu and kashmir keep it with government so again i gone long and winding but these are the things which require which will take indian railways and rail travel to another quantum if it remains the way it is it will not because uh, it's a large employer and that's an albatross around your neck. The no, no government wants to take that initiative and say clearly that we will privatize. It become a bad word and which is bad for the country. It is not a bad word. Selective privatization is a need of the hour. Otherwise, uh, progress would not really take place. We, not only as a country, and I think this is something that is being done in other countries, is to take an overall look at it from the perspective of mobility, right? And how do they feed into one another? And the second aspect is, why should not a private organization be responsible socially? Private industry can and should do is that they should be able to bring in the social responsibility into their design. Government and private that discussion is actually still on a financial level. Why can't we look at it from a design level and, and say, how do we change this from a mobility perspective? So first of all, uh, this discussion of uh, private and public also has to be viewed. I, I'm literally digressing, but so it's saying that if something is in the hands of government, only government will do the part of social obligation, private sector will not, is actually there is, 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 is to some extent erroneous, although I also said this, but I'll tell you why. So, social obligation means a certain subsidy, a certain spending by government, which is not remunerative, which is, which is kind of uh, something that the government does to uplift, for upliftment of people. A private sector can also do it, provided that kind of uh, subsidy is transferred to the private sector and that can be done. And 
the advantage would be that the private sector will do it more efficiently. So, that therein lies the answer to your one of your questions is that yes, engaging private sector to look at the entire mobility would definitely be beneficial and I am sure uh, private sector with experience would do a better job. Anything done in this direction, any small step is also going to be beneficial because you raised a very pertinent issue. See, it is not rocket science that in certain large cities of the world, all the mobility uh, for commu commuting, for, for example, buses or even waterways, trains, and perhaps some other mean trams, you can travel by, a, by buying a single ticket. They are integrated in some manner. So even in a city like Delhi, which has a metro, which is going to be 25 years old soon, this has not materialized. And it's because of these silos of these organization of metro being different than uh, uh, the bus corporation of it, whatever it's called now, different. So obviously that uh, much bigger thinking has to go into it as to why are we not able to even implement which is possible today and then lift ourselves from this morass and try look at that solutions uh, for the upcoming cities or larger cities is absolutely uh, something which needs to be done. Now, one can say that speaking is easy, doing is difficult. I agree, it's not going to be easy. But a thought towards this must start, an engagement of private sector. No, but some of these things have been already done 20, 25 years ago in other countries. Absolutely. That's what I meant. It's not rocket science. It is just that we have to break these silos and the initiative has to come largely from the government. And in our case in India, largely from the central government because you see even in metros, uh, although management is more or less with the state government, but uh, the central government is a large stakeholder. So every time a project is funded, central government's nod is always has to be there. So, so, so central government's initiative is first. Another thing is we tend to blame the private sector for many things, including, you know, R&D and uh, imaginative solutions and so on. But we forget that private sector has to watch bottom line. Government doesn't watch any bottom line. It, it only watches deficit in the budget and that's it. Which is all right. So government, uh, it's, it's all right. But that money which causes the deficit, that spending, should be spent not entirely by itself, but a large part through the private sector. And that will automatically bring in efficiencies. So I, by and large, when you say why we can't do it, my answer would be absolutely we have to do it. It is doable, but a thought has to start in that direction. Continuing with just that thought, you know, even today, the government controls IIT and IIMs. Instead of teaching useless theory in their engineering classes, get them to build coaches, get them to build engines, get them to build connectors, get them to visualize a mobility system. So instead of transferring know-how from foreign countries, you can transfer know-how from within the country. That's right. Absolutely. What you say is very close to my heart. Uh, we are a large country with a large pool of uh, skill in every area. 
yes, skills have to be improved, no doubt. But even what we have is not exploited well. Uh, we are not going to compare ourselves with some medium level countries and so on. We have to compare ourselves with, I keep saying, with Japan and China. So we are where Japan was perhaps in 1940s or something and we are where China was perhaps in early 2000s. They also brought in technology. It's uh, uh, Very little was homegrown. And where are they today? No, that's, that's where I'm coming. So they brought in, but at some stage they switched. They switched to generating and creating their own technologies. Japan started it long back, became a leader. And today, we may downplay whatever China does, but China creates its own products. China creates its own high-speed trains and perhaps better than anybody else. They have reached there. We have not started. We will reach once we start. But even today, we have not, unfortunately, not started. And the initiative, once again, has to be entirely by the government because they are going to spend that money they are the ones going to engage the private sector to do it, engage the public sector, engage whichever. And you talked of institutions. All of them have to be engaged and coordinated by the central government. And unless we start creating, initially we'll create shoddy products perhaps, but our own. And those failures would be stepping stones to success unless we became a creator of products. Uh, that uh, true value of what India can be would not be realized. One example is pharma sector. We pride ourselves in being factory of the world. Okay, good enough. But we don't do any R&D. There's hardly any Indian product. Now, what a dichotomy. You are the factory of the world, but you are not a creator of any drug. This cannot sustain you. You can be throttled any time. And as China did during COVID, when the raw materials could not come. These things have to be thought of instead of thinking that we have already reached there and so on. And of course, this pharma sector is far ahead of other sectors because in other sectors, we are not even that factory of the world. But uh, I'm totally with you. Where are you using the academic institutions, private sector, all resources? We have to start doing things on our own. With time, we will reach where we want to reach with time. The time to start is now, so to say. Can you talk to that design construct in terms of visualization, engagement and experience of people, of how your personal choices enable you to see visual art and, and design? So let me first tell you that as an engineer, you are you go through a very straightforward, simplistic education of 2 plus 2 is equal to 4. And uh, in life, uh, 2 plus 2 can be 3, it can be 5. So, and you you have not been trained to realize that as an engineer. Uh, so you go to a museum, uh, you look at some very famous work of art, and you just are totally at a loss to understand what the artist is saying, but you want to hide it because, so I, again, a matter of manufacturing and contriving here, because then I realized that there is a great deficiency in me. So, and this deficiency would not go unless I uh, try to train myself. So, for example, this museum, if I would go, I would go with an artist and shamelessly ask her or him, Ki ye kya hai? 
And then you'll find that the artist will tell you 10 things that she or he sees in that picture which you missed. So it's also a matter of training them. If you, I mean, it's not, it won't come easy for somebody who is uninitiated, uneducated, but with time, you will develop your own sense of appreciating art, which I believe I was able to do some extent. Same is with literature, although literature is not so difficult if, unless it's a very metaphysical or philosophical work. But to appreciate the uh, finer points, for example, Ghalib you love, so one share can have uh, so many interpretations. And it's not something that unless you try to train yourself, it won't come to you easily. So all that I tried. How all this helped me in design is something I'm just thinking and I'm wondering if I can find a correlation. But largely, I would say that unless you go through these finer things of life, everything that you do, unfortunately for engineers, has to have an input from these uh, works of art. Uh, when I say empathy, now, empathy will comes to you through reading. Empathy comes through you through experiences which are not related with your engineering work. And then they'll give you such dividends directly in design. Uh, so I'm not really able to correlate that directly because it's an engineering, uh, I mean, product after all. But uh, inputs of people who had nothing to do with railways was something I would always take, especially in aesthetics and so on. And uh, sometimes you will be told things which you never thought of. Uh, people not connected with railways as such may have some very lovely ideas. Half of them, more of than half of them would be impractical, but some suddenly you will find something which is absolutely something doable which never struck you. But sorry to disappoint you, I'm not able to really give you one example of where all this helped me in design of the train as such. You have these government employees, for example, who is pre-painting a coach. And he's used to painting one color. Now, if you tell this person, hey, you know what, we're going to stop doing this. We want to do a collage, uh, a mural. One is you have a vision of how a, a customer experience should be. The second is an unskilled person who has been doing something who is resisting. And the third thing is being able to give him this thing called new capabilities, which is basically building the human capital. Once he's trained and he does that, he might suddenly realize, you know, he can do a lot more and perhaps earn a better income than what he is, he is doing or supplement his income which he had not discovered. Now, this is the challenge of human capital. And I know you have done it at some level because we can see its manifestation. I want to know how you did that. How did you inspire? That's my question. So I'll try to give a brief answer. And since, uh, since you love Urdu poetry, uh, I think Faz has this uh, very simple share. Agar sharar hai to bhalke, sharar means spark. Agar sharar hai to bhalke, jo phool hai to khile. Tarah tarah ki talab tere rang lab se hai. So what I'm trying to say, every human being is uh, a cornucopia of ideas. 
And the leader's job is to encourage those ideas and pick up, not everything obviously, but debate, never patronize, never ridicule, always encourage. Adoption is in your hands. And when I look back, whatever I have been able to do, I think majority of those things have come, have burgeoned and have progressed because of an idea coming from those below me, not from anybody telling you to do something or not my own creation. So what a wealth of ideas exist, which we don't exploit because of our own conflicts and contradictions and so on. So, uh, when you say, how did I inspire people to, it was a simple principle of letting people uh, open their mind and come forward with ideas and, and, and then never patronizing it, encouraging it. And if we were not going to adopt it, explain to him as to why certain idea was not being adopted. We used to have these ideation sessions with staff and officers which was totally coming from bottom to up. Otherwise, in railways and government, it is commanded. You are told, hold an ideation session. And, uh, or you are told, hold, make four quality circles in that area and they must come with an idea. I mean, it's, this is not something which you can command. So, you can imagine if somebody's idea is chosen or somebody looks at somebody else's idea getting chosen and getting implemented, that's motivation enough. Uh, people, people, there's no other incentive bigger than this. And when they see this happening, then you are flooded with ideas practically. Uh, so it was all this simple measure again, I say, of inviting people to ideate and experiment and see in their little way how they can improve a coach or working conditions and so on. And it uh, seemed to work well, I would say. Bringing this conversation to a conclusion, I would like to ask you to give your perspective or your advice in uh, railways and in government and, and even in private sector who are afraid to express themselves. They have a lot of ideas, they have a lot of talent, but somehow fail to find that expression. Not that we don't have talent. How do we come out of that slavery mindset or a subjugated mindset and be able to express? Yes, it is a challenge, to express sometimes to authority, but one must find creative ways like you did. Love your quote in terms of saying, you're going to lose your respect sometime or the other. It is better you lose it in a, in a good cause. That is itself a great perspective, but having said that, how do you reinforce it? See, we are told young people, especially I'm talking of young people who are told that you must live your dream. But that's a very impractical advice because, uh, I mean, first you have to look after your bread and butter. And only when you are secure from that angle can you look at your idea. So I say, of course, secure your bread and butter first. But every man has ideas, every man has dreams. Don't let that dream ever die. Let it lurk. Don't let it be extinguished. Because that dream, that idea of yours and multiple ideas, multiple dreams is you. That is what makes you. Don't let it die. I'm sure someday you will get an opportunity to realize that dream. And that is the time. Now, as President Abdul, APJ Abdul Kalam used to say, that a dream is not something which doesn't let, which you see while sleeping. It is something that doesn't let you sleep. Not 
that is the time that your dream should not let you sleep. Because you've got the opportunity, the platform to do it, get consumed by it. And Joyce, as the Shakespeare says, that Joyce's soul lies in the doing. You will enjoy every moment of doing and trying to realize the dream. Never get disheartened by lack of opportunity. It will come to you. But when it comes to you, give it 120% of yours and the world would be yours. Giving it 120% means that you have to be prepared for it. Yes, of course. Yeah, you're right. You have to be prepared and believe that this idea, this opportunity will come to you. Don't let that dream die. Wait. And when it comes, give it your 100%. That I'm sure that opportunity to realize that dream would come to you. Mr. Mani, thank you so much. It has been a, a great privilege. I'm sure our viewers are going to enjoy this conversation. And uh, I look forward to many more conversations uh, from here on. There is a great deficit of leadership in every society, and this needs an urgent upgrade. Unless and until leadership is upgraded, there is a great danger that any progress shall be made. Bold action is required. That must be supported by risk assurance. Design thinking is prescriptive for every single human being on this planet to rewire the way we think. We need mindsets that will think of contribution more than consumption. Innovation will follow when personal transformation happens. That transformation is the transformation of capabilities, the capacity to transform and the ability to perform is what forms the human capital. Diversity, equity and inclusion will happen only when we are able to upgrade human capital. As we continue this video cast, I request each one of you to subscribe and share and also write to us about your perspectives. Be immersed in this experience of transformation, innovation and sustainability. Looking forward to seeing you during our next episode. Hashtag Tuesdays of Five.